Hello, folks. This is Paris Alford with the Daily Journal, and this is another edition of the Justify Your Existence podcast covering all things Mississippi State and Ole Miss. I am joined by our beat writers, Michael Katz with Ole Miss, Stefan Kreischnick with Mississippi State. Guys, uh, how are y'all on this uh, Monday morning? This is where y'all I'm come good. In. I'm good. It's where y'all come in and, and answer the question. <laughs> I'm good. I, I usually Michael goes first there, so I was expecting him to go, but um, he's probably worried about the Dodgers and what they're going to look like this season. With uh, they're going to look great, actually. Yeah, until they don't. You know, a lot of Braves fans uh, not liking that uh, Freddie Freeman leap over there. It's 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 a business. It's a business. You know, they got their first baseman to come in, and uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, the thing I think about with MLB is, man, I, you know how. How are you going to keep walking that line of alienating fans? You talk about wanting to grow the sport, and then you, you have this long uh, labor dispute, and you cancel some games. Now, you play 162 games. I don't think it's a terrible thing to cancel some, but it's a it's a bad look when you don't uh, start on opening day and you start cramming in these other games like it looks like they're going to do. Uh, uh, you, you guys are the younger generation. I mean, how important is MLB in your lives? It is for me because I, I grew up, you know, not too far outside of um, White Sox ballpark. So that's, I mean, my parents always took me over the summer, which was interesting for a family that probably didn't care about baseball until like 2010. Um, but it was, um, you know, I always like going to games. I mean, the Sox had been bad for a long time until maybe, you know, two years ago. So tickets were usually cheap and you know, we wake up one morning over the summer and you know, if dad wasn't working that day, we just buy some tickets that were cheap on stuff up or something and go to the game. So um, I, I love the MLB. Um, I know a lot of, you know, my peers that don't, um, you know, that's definitely part of it. But, um, but if, if the MLB did some more, you know, better work, I think on social media and kind of getting their players faces out there, I think there um, there's definitely a young generation to, to captivate and then and get involved in MLB. But um, there's also a lot that they do that uh, drives people away. And I think uh, it's probably with the person at the top. So, <laughs> Yeah, a huge, huge Rob Manfred here uh, fan myself. Uh, <laughs> lifelong Rob Manfred fan. Life, lifelong Manfred <laughs> guy. Uh, no, I mean, I grew up pretty close to Dodger Stadium. I used to I – mean, those were, like, my first, like, sports experiences, even when, like, I wasn't super into sports, um, was going to games with my family. Um, so – if we're looking at like my fandoms, that's like if USC still had a football team, that'd probably be number one, and then the Dodgers would be like right under that. But they're 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 pretty close. Uh, Lakers don't exist anymore, um, so the, you know, those are the, that's kind of the hierarchy. Uh, but yeah, no, it, you know the the thing I always my, my favorite thing is like baseball is so bad at putting its product out there that most people don't know what Mike Trout looks like. Mike Trout, the best, like the generational best player in the past very, very long time. Most people would would see him and be like, who's that? It's not like LeBron or like, you know, NFL players where everybody knows what these guys look like. MLB is very, very bad at marketing itself. And, yeah, like Steph said, Rob, Rob Manfred just does not uh, – he's not good. That, that is an interesting point because when you say that, I mean, that just kind of resonated with me. I'm thinking, you're right. I mean, I – I couldn't pick uh, uh, Trout out of a police lineup right now. You know, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't tell you what it looked like. So interesting. But it looked like uh, the Braves or the Dodgers or, or, or somebody was uh, playing uh, Ole Miss and Swayze Field uh, this weekend. I mean, I, 
I think it's pretty clear who the number one team in college baseball is after that series, Michael. But I think the question is, was that series more a reflection of Tennessee uh, or a reflection of Ole Miss? So I, I think, for the record, I, I, I'm not surprised that, that they lost. Tennessee is – they're the best team in the country, and it's not really close. They have everything. They've got – you know, guys who should probably be in the minors um, pitching. And then they've got, like, everybody in their lineup is hitting, like, 400 with, like, seven home runs and 30 RBI. Like, I mean, it's just – what it, it yeah, we talk – you know, we talked a lot about Ole Miss's lineup. Tennessee's lineup is just absurd. Um, there are no weaknesses. And I think the thing that surprised me is that – Yes, I knew that the Tennessee pitching was very, very good. I mean, basically everybody they threw out there was throwing 95 at least. There was the gentleman who was throwing 101. That was fun to see. Um, but, you know, it's like every one of their starters had just insanely good stuff. But I, I guess I was expecting the Ole Miss offense to do a, a, a little bit more, um, you know, but they they haven't seen that a ton of that high caliber of pitching yet. And so I think you can look at it as, you know, if you're looking, you know, way ahead, uh, you know, you are going to see that really, really good pitching, you know, if you're going to get to where you want to be, but in all likelihood, there aren't going to be a lot of Tennessees in terms of who you're seeing the rest of the year. And so, um, you know, I, I think yesterday was like, it was, it was the sign of life. Like they finally looked like they were there. And that was something Hayden Dunhurst kind of mentioned, like, you know, after Saturday's game, uh, he said, you know, we're, you know, not, we've only got a couple guys showing some dog out there. And it was, you know, and then for, you know, seven innings, there was no dog out there. And then he hit that home run and, you know, they, I mean, they had a chance to, to tie it at the end and, um, they didn't get it done, but it was like really kind of the first time they kind of looked like that confident team that we had seen for, you know, the better part of the season. And uh, so I guess that's just a, a long way of saying I think Ole Miss is still good. It's, I, you know, we're, we're, I don't know if they were ever – I know we've talked about this, but were they ever really the best team in the country? I don't, I don't really think so. I don't think their pitching ever really – made me think, wow, that's the best team in the country. I think they beat they, you know, they, they put up some numbers against some teams that they should have put up numbers against. And that lineup is still very, very good. But um, Tennessee is just an absolute, I mean, they're, they're, they got everything. It's, it, it's, it's, it would be very, very surprising to not see them in Omaha again. I, I, it's amazing. They've lost a game. Like I know their one loss was the Texas. who's also very, very good. Um, but they really, I mean, they've got they got the pitching staff. They've they've got the hitters. Even Bianco said that's one of the best teams he's seen in a while. Um, and so I think Ole Miss is going to be okay. You know, the pitching is kind of what we thought it was. It, it's it's okay. You know, John Gaddis. Unfortunately, you know, when you get to the upper echelon of SEC teams, he is going to be not one of the higher end Friday night starters. Uh, when you get into the good teams and, you know, Diamond looked really, really good for the most part yesterday. And I think that was big because they're going to need him um, in some weekend series. But, uh, you know, when, when you, when you're going against a guy like Chase Burns uh, for Tennessee, who's, you know, got a 0.7 ERA or whatever, and he's throwing 98, 
uh, and you're throwing a guy out there who um, doesn't quite match up, it, it's 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 really tough. And I think Tennessee is going to have that advantage over pretty much anybody. Well, uh, Steph, you saw – I don't know that you saw any of this uh, Ole Miss-Tennessee series. I mean, I know you know what happened. Um, I think uh, Tennessee matches up with Mississippi State. I mean, I, to me, I, I saw enough of Tennessee to think really, you know, that they're the clear number one. I know they, they moved there in the D1Baseball.com top 25 uh, this week. Ole Miss dropped to 10, so a big drop for the Rebels, nine spots there. But uh, – you know, what, what's your take on state right now? Because I was over there Saturday and, and it was a great day and a huge duty noble crowd, 14,000 plus, all of those things, lots of sunshine, everything you would want there. Could have been a touch warmer. Uh, get, get that, uh, we'll, we'll get that uh, the next time. But um, I look at the Alabama series with these guys and um, I think one, I know we talked about this uh, off air a little bit, uh, let's just say uh, if, if you're uh, rationed uh, some, some amount of good fortune uh, to use during a baseball season, I would say that State used a lot of their ration uh, in the first two games uh, when they got the two-run home run in the ninth in game one and, and then a walk-off home run in the tenth. Uh, and kind of the same thing with the four-run ninth on uh, Saturday in, in game two. And it seems to me that that's great, man. You take the wins however you can get them. That's a, that's a dangerous pattern. That's a hard way to live, to, to wait until the latter innings to do uh, most of your damage most of the time. And the other thing is they exerted a lot of effort against a team that's not projected to finish pretty high in the Western Division. They're going to face teams that are better than Alabama. I mean, what's, uh, what's your take on what you're seeing with Mississippi State right now? Yeah, in terms of how they would uh, match up with uh, Tennessee, I think they'd probably fit in that boat with a lot of teams saying they probably wouldn't match up pretty well. And I think part of that, a large part of that is is the pitching staff. I know, um, you know, the offense, with it coming along a little bit later than I'm sure Chris Simonis would like, that's definitely, you know, a point of emphasis. And, and we saw it in that Sunday game and think they had like 10 runners left on base or something along those lines. So, you know, when you're not scoring those runs, it, it catches up to you eventually. Um, and you're going to be facing bullpens that are a lot better than Alabama's, which Tennessee is an example of. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think I'm worried, you know, as much about the Mississippi State offense um, as I would that pitching staff. I mean, we knew that when Mississippi State lost uh, Lennon Sims and Stone Simmons that they would be in a really tough spot. I don't think that comes as any surprise considering, you know, a lot of people consider uh, Lennon Sims to be the best pitcher in all of college baseball. Now – what's kind of happened in his replacement is that, you know, state's got three guys, Preston Johnson, uh, Parker Sinnett and Cade Smith, who will give you the quality start. I think um, Parker went five and two thirds. So he didn't technically get the quality start, but uh, both Cade and, and Preston Johnson went six innings and gave up three runs. They, you know, they got that stat quote unquote. Um, and, and, and what you're missing there, especially maybe with a guy like Preston is, um, you know, when you're going on Friday and, and you're playing in the SEC, you know, six innings and three runs is good, but it's not great, right? And you're going to be facing guys who go eight innings and allow one run. You're going to get, you know, guys who go seven innings and allow one, one run. So they, they don't have that alpha dog anymore. Um, you know, no pun intended. They don't have the alpha dog anymore with Landon Sims. Um, and, and the back end of the pen is, is not great. So they, they, their pitching is just very inconsistent right now. Um, and, and it isn't as dominant. It's kind of, you know, you look back, 
on last season. And, you know, guys like Will Bednar and, and a lot of that pitching staff, um, you know, didn't really manifest themselves as, as the guys kind of in, in March, you know, that a lot of those guys really got going in, in April and May, um, you know, to, to kind of be the, the guys that they ended up being and, and the legends that they will be in Starkville forever. But, you know, you kind of look at the rotation right now and, and you're kind of waiting for someone to make that step and no one is. And aside from, um, you know, Pico Cone and, and Brooks Auger, uh, no one's really stepped up out of the bullpen either. I mean, we, we talked about the success States offense had in the ninth inning. Um, well, their pitching was not really good in the ninth inning. That first game, they allowed an insurance run. That's why the Hunter Hines, you know, two run bomb only tied the game. Um, you were there Saturday and, and I was there Saturday as well. And, and they gave up, what was it? Three runs in the ninth after tying the game in the eighth. Um, and then they gave up, I think it was three more runs again uh, Sunday. So the, the back end of that bullpen really needs to, to tighten up. And a lot of that comes from just too many walks. Um, so, so the offense, yeah, it, it's been coming along late. Um, but, but I'm, I, I would be starting to get more worried about that pitching staff um, as a whole. Um, and, and you got to hope if you're a state fan that, that Casey Hunt, you know, he's Lamonis said he's week to week. I've heard that he could be back as soon as this weekend. Um, you know, that, that's crucial. If, if, you know, he was a guy that was a weekend starter at the start of the season, you know, he started that first Saturday game against Long Beach state. So if he's, if he's another arm out of the bullpen state, um, state can't have too many of those at this point. Yeah. You mentioned the, the good starts, not the great starts by, by yeah. MSU pitching. And, and I would agree with that. Just, just okay. And sometimes okay is not going to be good enough. And they're not able to follow those starts right now with anybody to come in and start hanging up zeros. And, right. and that's, that's what the great teams do. That's what this team is missing. That's what uh, both of these teams are missing right now. I look at Ole Miss, Michael, I see a team that I think, when I look at the bullpen, I, I see like an A list and a B list. You know, it, it looks like uh, Hunter Elliott, the Tupelo freshman, is getting some things done. Looks like Riley Maddox is getting some things done. Dylan DeLuccia thought he pitched well the other night, gave up home runs, four hits, three of them were home runs. I mean, that's that's an aberration. That's not going to happen a lot. But among the starters uh, for Mike Bianco, do you think this uh, rotation survives much longer before Bianco tweaks it? And, and if so, you know, who are some candidates that could jump in there and start? Yeah, I mean that's that that's the question is you know if even if you think those guys aren't the answer, I don't I don't know if the answer is is there. Like you know, as Hunter Elliott is maybe a guy who gets pushed in. Uh, you know, he's looked good for the most part. I mean, the strength of the pitching staff is you know it's it's relievers. Brandon Johnson looked really really good. He, he's had a really nice year. He's got an ERA in the ones. Um, and, and looked really good again yesterday, but uh, you know he's he, he, he can't ask for five out of him. Uh, that's that's not what he does. And so uh, I, I really think the key to that pitching staff, and it's I think it's the reason he was the initial Friday night guy was Derek Diamond. Uh, I think it's it, it's it's really going to be on him um, because man, you have times where he looks unhittable, and then you have times where it just absolutely kind of falls apart. And uh, they need version one uh, of, of that guy to come out because he's I, I really kind of think like he has the stuff that can match up with the really, really upper echelon SEC teams. And I, I think if you look at the starters, he's really kind of the only guy maybe that does, you know, Washburn has looked OK, but 
you know, he's been a midweek guy and, and, you know, maybe, you know, if maybe there's a reason to put him out there on weekends. Uh, and, you know, I, if they were going to do it, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe it's a situation where you patch things together and you'd use, a, you know, like the, uh, speaking of the Dodgers, the Dave Roberts bullpen game, he's a huge fan of the bullpen game. Uh, you know, maybe you do an Elliott Riley Maddox, you know, kind of combo thing, but, you know, generally speaking, those aren't super sustainable. Um, especially when you start to bleed into the, the bullpen on, you know, what you can throw out there on, on the other nights. So I think a lot of it's going to come down to Derek Diamond, um, you know, and, and, and if they, if they tweet, you know, they already have, you know, kind of tweeted because, you know, McDaniel was, was number three and then they took him out and, and Jack Doherty is, has had moments where he's looked pretty good. Um, again, I think Tennessee is really kind of a tough barometer because I don't think many pitchers are going to look very good against, uh, you know, Tennessee's lineup, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, their starters haven't gone deep in the games. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like if, if they get to the fourth, it, they're, they're feeling pretty good. If, if they make it into the fourth and the fifth, uh, you know, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know if the solution is, is on the team. I mean, it's, I think it kind of is what it is right now. The strength is the relievers. And I think it's just, they got to kind of get there and um, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of patch it together. But if they were going to make a move, I think Hunter Elliott and, and Maddox kind of combo would, would make sense because they have been very, very good and, and they have really good stuff. Well, maybe you can go one more week. Maybe you can say, yeah, Tennessee was a tough barometer. Uh, I don't know how much longer you can go in not getting to the fourth inning. I mean, that, that's really putting a strain on your bullpen. You know, it may be uh, that a, you know, just a real uh, big splashy move is necessary. Maybe Brandon Johnson, run him out there as a starter. See if you can get four or five, okay? Because you're not getting four or five. You didn't get it this weekend. So, and you didn't get it from John Gaddis uh, at Auburn. So we'll see. It's a uh, it's a risky strategy to hope for consistency from Diamond. No Diamonds there. No, he's got it. No, he can do it. He's going to do it sometime. You know, maybe he needs to go do it in the midweek and bounce back up. You know, something like that. But interesting, uh, interesting pitching at both places. Uh, spring football, Steph. Uh, tell me uh, what the Bulldogs are doing. I, I saw your first uh, visit with uh, Mike Leach was pretty much Mike Leach and, you know, coaches and Rick Stansberry. I used, to say, I used to say this about Rick Stansberry at Mississippi State. Rick Stansberry would talk to you about fishing, you know, maybe some NASCAR. He would talk to you about anything until you start asking about his basketball team, you know. So, anyway, Mike Leach went off uh, on, on some different uh, conversations there in the first uh, – the, the first – uh, practice. I don't think he's quite Rick Stansberry. Leach will talk to you about football too. He just wants to talk about so many other things along the way. Yeah, Leach is just, uh, it's kind of unpredictable what he's ever going to talk about. Like, I'm sure you could probably expect fishing and NASCAR um, going into those pressers. Um, going into Leach presser, you have no idea what to expect. Um, but actually kind of the the basis of what started it all was, um, you know, uh, Mike Leach was asked if he was going to go to Vegas to, um, to attend the, the NFL draft where Charles Cross, you know, is probably going to be a top 10 pick and that's where most projections have him um and Leach said he probably wasn't going the, the reason that question was sparked was that Leach wasn't at the pro day um and um you know I, I think NFL Network was talking about Leach not being there and um you know there's 
there's just a lot of talk about, you know, what, what that means for a head coach to not be at the pro day or things of that nature. And, and you know, I think it's not, not much of a surprise that, you know, Mike Leach wouldn't care too much about 40 yard dash times and things of that nature. Um, but, but at the same time, it's, you know, Lane Kiffin was there. Mike Leach wasn't there, you know, Saban's is at his pro days. This guy's not, that guy is, you know, that it becomes a whole thing of how much, you know, how much does a guy actually care about his players once they leave his program, things of that nature. Those are the conversations that came up. I'm going to spark that question about uh, being there for Charles Cross uh, in Vegas for the NFL draft. And then he went on his tangent about Las Vegas, which I think anyone knows that if Mike Leach has asked about Vegas, that's probably where that conversation is going. And then he had tweeted about tree houses that he saw while he was driving through Utah the other day. And that's kind of what sparked that, that other conversation, which was actually really fascinating. Um, some of these tree houses that he saw, and I know he's retweeted some of them and things like that. So um, a fascinating conversation in, in terms of football, he didn't really say too much, which he never really does, but he talked about how, you know, consistent he thought his team looked, um, you know, the first day of spring ball, the, the more interesting conversation came uh, in the second spring practice, um, which, uh, which is what I was doing on Saturday while you were handling baseball at Mississippi state. Um, you know, we talked to Eric Mille and we talked to, you know, Zach Harnett, about just the shifts in the coaching staff and the reshuffling that Mississippi State had, um, and and a lot of that sparked, of course, with um, you know Dave Nickel leaving for USC and obviously the tragic news that that came out of that. Um, you know, it was really hard on on State's uh, you know coaching staff and, and a lot of their players have been vocal on social media, current and former players, um, about their relationship with him. So obviously, um, my best to his family, and he he was a great guy. And Parrish, I'm sure you. Um, talk to him in, in some capacities. I don't know how much, how much you saw him in fall camp, but um, you know, that, that's something that, um, you know, day when he originally left for USC, you know, of course, Drew Hollingshead into his spot, um, reshuffled some things. Now you got Eric Miele coaching the special teams. He talked a lot about um, that and, and what that kind of will look like for him. Um, and he, he saw last year how important it was um, for state to have good special teams because the special teams hurt them a lot last year. So uh, he's in that role, some reshuffling, um, I'll go deeper into that on, on a piece um, here in the midweek um, about what the what the new staff kind of looks like, but um, or I should say same staff but new positions, um, and, and kind of what that means for state moving forward. But but so far it seems like everyone's embraced that role and uh, and is in a good spot. Uh, I haven't thought about tree houses a lot since like the 1970s. I'm sure the advancements uh, are impressive. But uh, interesting. Yeah, they are. There are some. Some of them were from Louisiana, so I don't, I don't know. You know, it were in your neighborhoods in Louisiana what they look like. But there are some massive ones from Louisiana that Leach was talking about. This is actually my treehouse. I actually live in one. <laughs> Michael, tell us, man, has uh, Lane Kiffin named a starting quarterback yet? <laughs> uh, I think you know the answer to that one, Parrish. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's you know it's it was it's going to be a battle between three guys and blah blah blah. Um, it was interesting to actually like see them out there on Saturday though. Uh, one, it was very strange to see number two out there and not have it be that number two um, because Jackson Dart is is going with his customary number two. So it was a little bit weird to see uh, it being not worn by Matt Corral. Um, but you know he. Uh, is he's got a live arm. That's that's for sure. Uh, he, he he throws he throws a pretty ball. Um, you know, Altmaier looked good. Kincaid Dent looked good. You know, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I've never put a ton of stock in in what we see or what you see in spring ball, just in terms of, um, 
I think most guys probably going to look pretty good in spring ball. I don't think they're going to put them in positions to like look bad. Uh, but you know, it, it was, it was good. I think to see, you know, everybody's talked about the talent and all that stuff of dart. I think it was good for, because it was open to the fans and I think they liked what they saw. Um, you know, Michael Trigg, he's the one that stood out to me. Um, uh, another, the other USC guy, uh, he's like, he's like the biggest person in history. Uh, I mean, he looks like he could start for the Ole Miss basketball team right now. And maybe he could, but that's another story. Uh, just, just, uh, an incredible, like he, he, he looks the part and he made some incredible plays. Uh, he's, he's going to be a stud, uh, we, in, in this offense and, um, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those things that I, I think we're not going to get enough, you know, a, an answer this spring lane kind of said, you know, yeah, in a perfect world, you, you know, earlier than later, but you know, we're not going to rush it. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to kind of rush it because, you know, I don't think they want to be playing the transfer portal game and having guys, you know, do that. So, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this does not get uh, resolved this spring. You know, uh, you mentioned Trigg there, and I thought that was the piece that was missing from the Ole Miss offense last year. Uh, and I just thought uh, even after Kenny Yaboa left, you know, he, oh, so that was a hole to fill, I thought someone would emerge. And I know Casey Kelly was coming off an injury. I get that. And and Chase Rogers had an injury. So you, you had some of that going on. But I, it just seems like uh, Elaine Kiffin offense uh, finds a tight end, you know, finds someone to produce uh, at that position. And I really think, uh, you know, just based on what you're describing right now and, and uh, you know, the history of Michael Trigg, I would imagine that, that he'll make a big splash and that that position will return to the Ole Miss offense next year. So that will be a, be pretty interesting to watch that um, basketball a little bit. Uh, Chris Jans, what's next on the agenda for him, Steph, at Mississippi State? Well, next on the agenda, he's attending the Final Four um, this upcoming weekend in, in uh, New Orleans. So, um, no, next on the, on the calendar is, is, you know, getting his assistant staffs in, in place and, you know, starting to use that that transfer portal, bring some players in. So, um, you know, New Mexico State, um, I can't remember who they hired, but they didn't hire James Miller, who was kind of the assistant, um, you know, in the running for that job. And um, I think there were some people who were questioning that decision, but that's um, that's going to probably be a point of emphasis for Chris Chance to bring um, Miller here uh, to, to Starkville on his staff. So keep an eye out for that. If that's something that ends up uh, developing and, and, you know, as, as teams get eliminated from the NCAA tournament, the transfer portal keeps filling up. So I'm sure, um, you know, he'll be in there. Um, you know, try to get some players and same for Sam Parcell, who's, um, you know, who's still coaching at Louisville and the women's team is still looking good up there. So I don't know if he'll be uh, in Starkville anytime soon, but, you know, he hired an assistant last week. Um, so he has someone, you know, on the ground here in Starkville to start, you know, recruiting transfers and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, it, it should be a busy month or so ahead for, uh, for basketball teams. Um, probably at Ole Miss as well with, with, you know, the way Kermit has talked about the transfer portal too, um, it's going to be a fun time and a lot of briefs coming from us, uh, you know, finding stats from players, um, you know, that, that played at San Diego state and average five points a game and, and are looking to go somewhere new. Hey man, Lee, Hey, 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 have put some respect on the mountain West, please. <laughs> hey, Kermit. Find, find players from like Florida state or something. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You heard Kermit talk about attacking the portal, but I, 
you know, I would argue that not all of these portal guys were what they needed to be. You know, I don't think uh, DJ Jeffries was what he needed to be at, uh, at Mississippi State. Uh, you know, I don't think I had, a, field, uh, I had a collegiate coach. I had a collegiate coach tell me that um, every player in the portal, there's a one reason or two that they're in the portal. So ding, 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 ding. <laughs> there's this image that uh, because a guy is attached with a certain school, Brakefield coming from Duke, that you're going to get Duke-like success. I mean, Brakefield had some moments as a freshman at Duke. He did. I watched him this year, Michael. I don't know what you thought. It, it seemed to me that, that he made the right decisions and, and he was athletic enough to do what he was trying to do, but he was just a step slow in doing what he was trying to do. I mean, that's what I thought it was with, with Jamin. A lot of the time was quickness. But at the end of the season, you know, he was losing minutes, uh, and so was Jeffries at State, and uh, it just uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't, you know, a, a great thing. Yeah, no, uh, Brakefield, I think, was one of the real surprises for me, just in terms of impact. I thought he was going, you know, again, maybe that's that's on me, too, for kind of falling in, in, in for the Duke thing. Um, just thinking that automatically everybody who comes from Duke, if they go somewhere else, they become a superstar. And that just that didn't happen. He, he hasn't been that guy yet. But, you know, he's still young, but he'll figure it out, I think. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence. Thanks for being with us. For Stefan Kreischnick and Michael Katz, I am Parrish Alford. Come back and join us.